Hello and welcome to Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. This series aims to allow some of the best producers, mixers, engineers and other music industry people to discuss their careers and their approach to music. The success of this series depends on people hearing it, so don't forget to tell your friends if you like what you hear and remember to give it a five-star rating and please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, special offers and promotions. This episode is brought to you in association with KMR, the UK's leading independent pro-audio retailer and recorded in association with Audient and the ID44. It's also brought to you in association with FilePass, a file sharing platform built specifically for the needs of the audio industry. It allows your clients to hear your mixes in the way that you want them to hear them. Find out more at kpmixbus.com and follow us on facebook.com slash kpmixbus and at kpmixbus on Instagram and Twitter. Dimitri Tikovoy is a Grammy-nominated record producer and DJ who has worked with bands including Placebo, The Horrors, Charlie XCX, Mickey Echo, Ghost, Blondie, Becky Hill, Ed Harcourt, Nicola Roberts, Marianne Faithful, Paloma Faith and James Arthur. He works within rock, pop and alternative music seamlessly and I'm grateful for him taking the time to speak to me today. Hello. Hi, Dimitri. Bonjour. How are you? Bonjour. I'm, uh, I'm very good, thank you. Yeah. Quite a few name checks there. But let's start with what you've been doing recently. You've been in China. I've been in China, yes. I've, well, for the last 10 years, roughly, I, I went back into doing a lot of songwriting for people. Yeah. So I've spent a lot of my time uh, co-writing with artists or writing to pitch for the artist. Um, I've got a um, very strong collaboration uh, with a woman called Kathy Dennis. Oh yeah, Kathy Dennis, of course. I know her from a long, long yeah. time ago. So we've we've worked a lot together um, for the last few years, and um, some other great, great top liners. We did uh, that that particular track for China. I worked with um, a top liner called Dave Gibson, who also works with Bruno Mars, and he was a fantastic guy. We wrote it in LA uh, about two years ago. And um, this Chinese artist called Jackson Lee heard the track and decided they wanted to to use it. So they flew me to China to... uh, to finish the track, which was fun. What's it like the, the studios out there? There, oh. I mean, are they. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Sorry for the swear word, but no, it's okay. Yeah, it is. It was. Yeah, it is really, really great. The top quality studio, top quality microphone. Everything is. It looks new, but it's like they had a vintage LM two five one. Oh wow. Uh, which looked brand new out of the box vintage neve that looks same thing it's i mean it's, it's they have they are gone above and beyond to make everything yeah. like in i don't know so well they're big markets aren't they china and, and asia are huge markets yeah. right you know maybe a long time ago they were they weren't quite what they are today um, but they've really over the last five ten years they've invested a hell of a lot well, it, 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 the second track I've, I've got this year that um, in uh, in Asia, um, I mean Jackson Yi is basically is like the Chinese Justin Bieber, so yeah. he is a, the biggest male artist in China at the moment. Right, 
And uh, I've done another track earlier this year for a band called Twice, yeah. which are Korean. Well, actually, they're Japanese, but they, they, their biggest market is Korea. And that's a co-write I did with uh, Charlie XCX and MNEK. And uh, EP went platinum in a week. So wow, that's fantastic. It's off CDs. Congratulations. We sold 250,000 CDs. <laughs> In one week, which is well, anyone selling that kind of units in this day and age physically, yeah, that's the way it's it nuts. It, it, it seems to be the, the, the market over there is quite different. I think, especially in, I think it's, I'm trying to get my head around it because I've, I've it's the second time I go it, but they seem to buy CDs. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be more of a cultural thing and where they, they still for them having the object yeah. is a bit of a status symbol yeah maybe because of the internet as well and streaming maybe yeah. they haven't really sort of opened that up to the public so much well China is different because the streaming it doesn't work so you right. don't have Spotify in China sure. you don't have Facebook you don't have Twitter you don't have Instagram so they've created their own intranet yeah so they've got their own version of Spotify, and actually, if you if you like the artist and if you want, you want to listen to the album, you have to pay for it. So, which is seems to be working quite well because it's supporting artists in a better way. Which is quite ironic, really, considered that twenty years ago they would pirate anything <laughs> 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 so suddenly they developed a conscience yeah yeah but uh, <laughs> yes it's, it's quite funny well it works for it works for them yeah, yeah of course i don't yeah, know if it works for, for, you, for, it's, great yeah, for it's great for chinese artists i don't know how it works for if for you're an Western american artists. or uk artist yeah maybe they give it for free yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you originally were a musician. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up in London? I started playing drums when I was seven yeah. after watching an Elvis Presley movie cool. of him in the studio. There's, I can't remember which one it is, but he's recording in the studio. I was like, oh, this is great. I want to do that. Yeah, sure. And I picked... Uh, the most inconvenient instrument because it looked really cool. So right. the noisiest one. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so unfortunately, it's, my parents had the bad idea of buying me a snare drum and a and a cymbal, and I was playing it all day long. So they put me into a drum school, and then I carried on and I went to do um, jazz school for a few years to learn drums around, I think I was about 14, dropped out of, of normal school, yeah. fully got into, the, you know, musicianship. Then I, um, I started touring with band. I, I realized that I could, you know, first of all, it was fun. On top of that, I could make a bit of money. I could yeah. start making a living. And, and then after a few years, I decided to try to better my skills as a drummer. So I went to do the French, the Paris Conservatory to learn classical percussion. Okay. And quite dedicated myself to, to, to doing all of this. Meanwhile, I had bought an, an old Atari 520. Oh, wow. And I was doing programming so I could 
play in time with the drums. So Amazing. I was programming. What, what, year, what year would this have been? Sort of what year? Sort of this is eighties oh. or early eighties, late eighties, late um, early nineties. I would say early nineties. Okay. Late eighties, early nineties. So I was program- programming stuff on the Atari all the time. Yeah. You know, crazy sequence and stuff like that. So yeah. I could could play drums on it and practice my drums, and then and then people started hearing what I was programming and they said, "Oh, this is great." Could we try to do a song? So I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> and then I ended up doing a few songs. And French artist called Gesh Patty heard one of my track. And she was a big, big artist at the time in France. And she said, can I use one of that tra- those tracks? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? And then she said, do you have more? I said, okay. well, yeah. And so yeah. I played a couple more. And then she said, do you want to produce my album? <laughs> so I never, at that point, I, you know, this is, was not my my trajectory. Did you know what head. a producer was? I, I did. I kind of, I've been, I had been in the studio a few times, but it was a very blur yeah. thing, you know? So for me, it's like, you know, I saw it from the outside. So, sure, yeah. so I, I, but, you know, I said, I, like um, I always say yes so I said yes yeah. sure yeah. and then I called a friend of mine who was actually a really great engineer called uh, uh, Michel Olivier who I worked with the few sessions I did and I said Gash asked me to produce an album why do I do it? he said listen let's do it together yeah. and I can be your mentor so basically we did, did the album together I learned a lot from him I did all the musician side of things and I did all the engineering and I was watching. I was watching how he was handling the session. And the album wasn't a success commercially, but it was a, a, a very big success in terms of the, um, the buzz that it created. Yeah. So on the back of that, suddenly I got loads of people in France calling me to do, to do their album. <laughs> Every time I was like, oh, fuck. That means that I've got to take time off from doing drums. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, sto- you're stopping me enjoying myself. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's like I started running with it. And the more I was doing it, and the more... Because I didn't... It's a weird thing to say, but... Because I didn't care... I kind of went above and beyond trying to do things that people wouldn't do. Sure. So just experimenting. I just started sound. going a bit berserk on experimentation with recording stuff and how to do things, how and My microphone, I started buying equipment. I bought like an Ampex 24 very early on. Wow. Um, and I started going crazy with trying things because... Did, you know, I felt like, I don't care. This is not what I what want to do. do. Yeah. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go mad. Just, just <laughs> to hell with it. I'll just do whatever. I, yeah. yeah. And it kind of worked. So it started, I started creating a little bit of a buzz in France. More people were calling me. And at that point I was like, okay, if I'm going to do that, I've got, I don't want to do it with, I didn't, I wasn't really into the French music at the time. Sure. So I, I want to go where 
there is music that's for me something that I'm listening to and is challenging and where I think like fuck those people they they you know they great how, so how old were you here? i well it was i moved here in 98 okay so that's i can't remember how old i was, was nearly 20 years ago yeah so that's i was 26 basically it was a big decision because i didn't really speak english and i didn't know anyone but there was one there's some record that i kept listening to all the time which were record that Flood had made which was like the Depeche Mode album, the Nine Inch Nails PJ Harvey I think there was a lot of really great music coming from the UK Yeah. even if you know Portishead I mean you had so much yeah. stuff and it seemed to be all coming from the UK yeah. so I decided to move here and I moved here uh, and I um with all the savings that I've made from doing all those little albums, uh, moved into new, to South London in New Cross for a few years in a shitty flat. And I tried to contact people. I think I tried to contact about 200 management and I got no response. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized, right, this is going to be tough. It's always tough, though, isn't it, when, when you turn up yeah. in a new place? Yeah. But so far, everything had been quite easy for me. So it was a right. little oh, bit okay. of a, like, oh, okay, oh, okay, here we go. We... Especially around that time, because you know the music industry was thriving then. It was. 2000, you know, people, the budgets were great. Uh, the music scene was The great. music it was, was so competitive. very competitive and people were great. I mean, yeah. it was very, very creative, yeah. generally. It felt like people, production-wise, artist-wise, they were all challenging each other. Yeah, you yeah, know, for sure. you 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 every album that were coming out, the great album, they were like, "Fuck, I never heard that before." Yeah, and then you another know? one would come out, and another, and another one, one would come out, and yeah. another one, and it would be a slightly different style, you know, because you went from having trip up to having grunge, to having, yeah. you know, to, I, I don't know, industrials, to having really pop stuff, but it was good. Yeah. You had the beginning of the, the American R&B, you know, with, with TLC and people like that, yeah. and all of this, and even the American hip-hop, I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but whoever you call, whatever you call him now, PDD or Puff Daddy at the time, yeah. it was fucking brilliant. Yeah. He was great. So, and it was selling shitloads, wasn't it? It was, was selling you know, every, shitloads. Everything was selling. Like, it you know, was, music was still a viable, or records, yeah. actually. Not music was still very popular, but records were huge in numbers. You know, you were still yeah. selling five, six, seven million it units. Was, it was big. Of lots of records. Well, people were superstars. Yes. And yeah. for good reason. It was revolutionary in yeah. some respect. Yeah. You know, it was... A, it was a big step from the 70s and yeah. you know it's like suddenly you've got like all those different genres and they, they're very unique and people are very good at it so and in England we had a lot of the stuff that talked to me more than the American music yeah. so I really wanted to be in London so it took me a, a little while to um, 
to get in. I, st I started meeting people like yourself at Mute and Paul Kendall that, you know, took me a little bit under his wing. And so he could, you know, he would bring me into Mute to, uh, to do a few sessions here and there and show me a few things. Yeah. And I met, I had, I was lucky I met with John Kell from the Velvet Underground. Yeah. And I started working with John for about, on and off, for about three, four years. So I learned a lot from working with him as a, as a programmer. Okay. And, um, and as a musician. And, and um, I think, and then eventually at one of the mute party, I ended up bumping into Flood, which was kind of my hero. Yeah. So I said... I'm such a big fan, blah, blah, blah. Get, you know, I'd love to walk with you, make coffee. And he said, he gave me his number. He said, call me back in a few days. Called him back. He said, well, can you play the keyboard and can you do some programming? I said, yes. He said, well, can you be there in a couple of days? I'm uh, doing something with Gary Newman and I need, to, I need someone. <laughs> and I was there and he loved what I was doing. And then I started working with Flood on and off for about I don't know quite a while six seven years so it was that was he became my mentor in, what, what did you learn from Flood? it was interesting because it was a combination of it's quite technical but yeah. it's it's not a usual technique he's trying to find things that connect emotionally which talked to me as a musician because sure. that's always what I, you know, I, I always look at it that way. Music connects with you emotionally, doesn't it? Yeah. Only we sit there going, oh, that hi-hat pattern is great. That's it. Most I mean, people I are listening to music going, I like that, I don't like that. I mean, it's 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 one thing. I mean, I've, you know, before, I, because of being a drummer, I always... I was always interested in getting the drum sounds right because I always thought, you know, it seems... A lot of the session I had done, the drums didn't sound the way I was hearing them when I was playing them. Yeah, it didn't feel the same. Yeah, it felt too separ separated. Yeah. I didn't have the same emotional feeling than when I was playing it. When it's was, surrounding you and yeah, the, the, sitting the, the, on the stool. just uh, that that oomph, that or oh, that distortion or whatever it is when you're sitting at the drum. The compression of your ears. You, yeah, all of those things. And I, it's really hard to explain yeah. to someone, especially when you're not technical. So I, I, that's why I wanted, you know, when I, once I got into it, that's why I wanted to learn. And I kept trying to learn and seeing people and trying things until he was a good mentor for me because he was doing things from that point of view. Mm. I mean, in his own way. Yeah. But he was trying to create a feeling from the perspective of, from a different perspective, not a front of house engineer perspective, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do, yeah. It is more from your part of the band perspective. Yeah. And that's changed everything for me. So, as, as a, that changed for you as a producer? Both. Really? Producer a, a and writer? a musician, I yeah. think. Because I, I, I like the idea that, you know, I mean, you have to pick your battles. Not, every, uh, not everything is equal, you know, yeah. in, in music. But I think the more you learn, the better. You, if if the technique doesn't overcome you, the more you learn, the more you you have choices about the direction you want to go in. Yes. 
After that, you've got to make the choice of where you want to go. And you've got to take it quite early on. If not, it's an open door for everything. And then it becomes a big Sainsbury where you don't know what, what yeah, to buy. And you're just walking around aimlessly, especially yeah. with computers now, it's where crazy. you can go in absolutely every yeah. direction constantly. Exactly. When you're producing your own works or writing, do you have a, a fairly good idea initially of how you want that song or album to go down? Do you form yeah. an opinion? I, 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 I tend to think about it before I start it. So okay. I, right. most albums that I do, I try to really come up with a concept of how we're going to do it before we do it. Sure. And things change. Yeah, of course. But, and I, there is two things for me. There is the songs, which at the end of the day is always going to be the most important thing. Yeah. But the sonic of it is, is quite crucial to the way the artist and also the the, the fans or the, the, the people that listen to it will respond. And I think the, um, the sonics are equally important. I try, when I record an album, I try to start with limitations. This is, for yeah. me, a good way to in, start in what, an album. So me I would say, like, if we're going to do the drums with two microphones. Or no symbols, or you know, or we. I, I, I try to start something that's yeah. got limitation, no chords on the guitar, or, 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 yeah, just try to start with a point of where people have to challenge themselves a little bit. It doesn't work for everything, but yeah. it's a good idea to find. And that's, 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 and I'm not putting the limitation on people to limit them. I'm putting the limitation on people to excite them. Yeah. So usually I try to find something that's going to go, you know, say, oh, we're going to go record the drums in church. And because all their demos have loads of rhythms and drums, and they're going to go like, wow, fuck, yeah. or in a, in a tunnel or whatever it yeah. is, you know. Or we're going to replace all the symbol with, I don't know, with chains or whatever it yeah. is or decide that we're not going to quantize anything or not going to use any symbols you know make some decisions and have a long conversation with the band before we start do a few playlists of things that we like or things that we we you know i think it's the the pre-production is for me is really important yeah it sounds Getting like it yeah it sounds, an you're, not, you're not the only person to say that a lot of the people I've spoken to in this series have all said it's basically at the pre-production. Yeah. That's where those ideas and that direction is formed. Yeah. And that relationship between you, the band, and the music, that's where it's kind of born. Yeah. How do you, though, if... Let's say you're working with a with an unsigned artist. Yeah. You might have, in some ways, a lot more scope because no one's ever heard anything from them. That's that, that's it's actually quite tricky with new artists because benefit of experience is also a problem because you can adventure in different genres yeah. of music. Yeah. And therefore, you're not. You don't have the limitation, which sure, I was yeah. talking earlier. Yeah. Therefore, it's kind of, where do I go? 
you know, you, you, if the artist doesn't have already a little bit of an, a, a sound, then you start thinking, okay, what would I want to hear from you? And then, so that's the way I'm started thinking when I work with new people. It's like, if I was, if I was the public, what would I want to hear you sing? Sure. And then I take it and then I start from there and then I try to make, you know, songs or music th that goes into what I would want that person to sound like. And then after that, at least it gives me a starting point. And do you do that on your own or are you always, do you, do you sort of have a talk with the band and then come in the studio and go, it, okay, I'm going to try these ideas and present them to the band? It it depends because those two different type of people I'm working generally without categorizing yeah. is either bands or solo artists. Yeah. A lot of the pop artists, you have, the, it's quite weird working with pop artists because usually you do a one or two day session with them and it's a writing session. So you yeah. have to be really quick and you you have a discussion at the, at the when they arrive you go for coffee you have a chat and then here you go and, and straight, in. straight in and you have to have a song finished and produced by the end of the day so it's and I quite like working like that um, the danger of it is to sound a little bit generic but you know at the same time it's kind of the way that's why a lot of people a lot of pop music is quite generic is because people don't have time to develop their sound yeah sure and they work with a lot of people yeah. so you can end up you know it's it's not difficult to write a song in in one day it's once you get the hang of it what's difficult is to find something that's got personality and yeah. character yeah. in one day um, with bands it's a different approach because I am I've, I'm actually using them as a as a it's it's an exchange, you know. Yeah, I'm, tr yeah. I'm I'm giving them something, and I want them to give me something back, and sure. I'm feeding from what they're giving me, and I'm 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 helping them with what I've learned in order to try to push them further. You came to London, and you ended up working with Flood, yeah, for a long time. Where, where did you go from there? Um, well, actually, after we we did a lot of stuff together because after after, after he, he started using me as his musician programmer person, yeah. I, I started producing stuff. One of my first big break was Placebo, yeah, uh, which I produced, and so I asked Flood to mix it because he was my mentor. So after that, we kind of went back and forth where he was asking me to do things for him, and I was asking him to do things for me. So how did that feel? Like you you come from that kind of place of looking up and you work ended up working alongside him it was great you never for me i don't, I don't it's not really comp really a competition music and i think i've learned a lot from him and i still don't know what he does yeah you know, I know exactly i've, I've taken mean. a lot of things that he was doing and applied it to what i'm doing but what flood does is what flood does yeah. it's like i've i've worked with other people and I think everybody develops their own personal skills in yeah. different ways. So, you know... I could watch what you do today. I could go home and replicate that, but yeah. it won't sound the way you make it sound. No, It'll just sound the way I think it should sound. Yeah, and uh, sometimes it's useful uh, to, to see how someone does something, but 
it doesn't work for you. Yeah. You know, it's kind of... Yeah. I've seen people, you know, making things in dif- in some, some ways and it's it works great for that session that they're doing and each time I'm doing it, it doesn't work for me. So it's kind of... Or even, you know... There is a there is a lot of different angles to things. So I'm, I've, it's funny. I keep trying to learn and to push myself. So, so, so I, I I understood we working with flood a lot about the psychology of music, how to interact with artists, how to mic things and record them in a way that was really important for me. I I looked at him how he was mixing and there was. There is an element of the way Flood mixes the stuff. That's it's a bit voodoo. I don't voodoo. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think he's like he's just like he's doing some fucking random thing that nobody else does. And I like I remember one day sitting in the room and Flood is on portals and and that. I was pretty good on portals at that point. And Flood is really slow on portals. And I was watching him and it was so tedious. It's like he was doing something and I was like, I was behind him and I was like, just let me do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm, I'm bored and I'm like, okay. And then 45 minutes later, he plays something and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, I've been there. I don't know I've what he there. did. And I don't know how he got about it because it looked ridiculous whatever I was doing. Yeah. But it sounded amazing. Yeah, I've been there. And I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> anyway, so after after that, I mean for me the, the the thing I really wanted to learn was understand the next step which was mixing. So I've watched loads and loads of video online of mixing engineer and how to mix and stuff like that i get to a point where i said okay i start to uh, to get it the problem about when you learn something new you 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 tend to apply a technique and not use your ears necessarily so it's kind of a bit of back and forth and (laughs) what was really interesting is about what was it two months ago I did a mix for a project I produced called Truces that isn't yeah. out yet. I produced the track, co-wrote it, mixed it, and I was really happy with the mix. And um, the whole album, the the Alan mixed the whole album. So they said, do you mind giving your track to Alan? And I was like, yeah, sure. Because I was like... My mix is pretty good. I want to see if he can beat that. <laughs> and then he set the mix back and I was like, fuck you! <laughs> Fuck's first mix he sent. I was like, there's not even any tweak. I was like, oh, you bastard. <laughs> this is why you are Alan Mulder. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, like, it's yeah. like, it was... His, eight I listen to a lot of, a lot of mix engineer stuff. I, you know... And you're constantly going, how the hell do they get that width? How do they get that depth? How do they get that? And I was like... And you're struggling for ages in the box. Is it more of this? What about that? (laughs) What was really frustrating, well, interesting, is the fact that it was exactly the same as what I did. It sounded better. 
Yeah. It just it didn't change the balance or the feeling of the track or anything like that. It's just it was better. Yeah. So and that makes me that's that's good for me because it makes me want to keep learning. Yeah, sure. I'm like, okay, there is more to learn. I'm mm. not I'm not there yet. Are, are you mixing in the box? Yeah, I tend to mix in the box. Yeah. Are you comfortable But, with that? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, this is kind of. I try to find my way of doing things. So, you know, for me, the box works quite well. Well, well you have to find your way, don't you? It's, you know, as we said, it, you know, the, the idea isn't to copy people. The idea is to apply what you've seen and make it your own. Yeah. I, th I think at some point I bought a, a Thermionic culture, the, the, what is it called? The, the Fat Bastard. The Fat Bastard thing. The mixer, the summing yeah, mixer. The summing. Yeah, the And I, I used it for a year and a half, and it just didn't work for me. I, I preferred the sound in the box. Just straight out of the box. Yeah, it just, don't know. It's, you know, everyone have their own thing. Yeah, of course, yeah. There's no right way, though, is there? There's no, I think a lot of people who are starting out or um, maybe listening to this thinking, how do you make yourself sound like Flood or Dimitri or Alan Mulder or Dave Bascom or whoever, uh. you know, You've really got to just develop your sound. It's just, I think it's the the way everyone's brain is wired differently. So yeah, you're sure. looking yeah. for different things, you know, there isn't, that's where you get to the point where you get to, you know, yeah. after, after that, what's in between is, is what you've learned. And it's a, such a tricky thing, music, because it's a connection, it's, it's an emotional connection with something. What what I find really hard for me is when people send me demos and I listen to the demo and I'm like, this is really good. And I don't know how to make it better. Because even if it sounds shit... Sonically. Sonically. Yeah. The demo emotionally is so good. Yeah. Now how am I going to do that? How am I going to make that... I understand that... It connects with me a hundred percent. Yeah, but you can't put it out because I understand that for people that are, don't have the ear training, etc., etc., it's they need they need it to be presented in a better way so they can hear it. Yeah, and this is our job as producer, mixing engineer, engineer, yeah, sure, all of, of this. That's exactly the job. So. And sometimes I'm like, how the fuck do I do that? I can I can make it sound better, or I can make it more in tune, or I can clean it up. But that feeling that you get on the demo, how do I keep it uh, or make it better if possible while doing all those other things? And that can be really hard. Do you have a favorite piece of equipment that you use in the studio? all the time or do you have something that you do every time you make a record or a lot of the time that that without it you feel lost or you feel like it's not you do you have something like that that you do i think interaction with the artists is is quite the most important thing yeah sure most important the brain I th i'm gonna say the brain is the most important piece of equipment in the studio brilliant The last section is called Dither and Delay. This is about basically things you try to avoid when you're making records or writing or mixing. Mm, that's a good question. I'm quite open to 
anything. So I don't try to avoid anything. I quite like when I disagree with people because I like a challenge. I like I like people that are difficult <laughs> because I think usually well it's not true but it I I think that at the age I'm at and with what I've learned this is on me to try to grab something from it. If you manage to get something from someone that's difficult then you might be onto a winner. You how how do you this is this is quite an interesting thing. How do you when you're first starting your career and you meet someone who's difficult and I can I've got a story about that. Well but the first big gig I got was with Placebo. I did a few B sides for them before. Um, I did running up that hill at that point and they asked me to produce meds. Yeah. And we go in the studio and they wanted they got me in because, you know, so far it's been really easy working with me. I was doing loads of programming. And like I said, in my head, I had thought long and hard about the album that I wanted them to make, but I didn't discuss it with them. And I thought, at this stage in their career, I think they should go back to making something that's got a bit more realness and that's got a bit darker with real instrument them playing it hearing the hearing their their feeling you know the thing that i always liked about brian was yeah. when he sings that it's believable so yeah, i didn't want to polish it i wanted to do the opposite i wanted to get the the, the fucking raw side out of him you know the, the emotion <laughs> so so the first thing we did we were in um Olympic? I can't remember where we were. And first song, started playing it, sounded good, and then I said, can we try a different key? I said, why? I said, just want to try it. I said, well, it works in that key. I said, yeah, but I want to try it. So I said, fine. And then I made it, and I said, can we try it to another key? And it's like, why are we trying another key? I just want to see where the emotion is different in into that other key. Anyway, it kind of escalated, and then he left after fifteen minutes. He had enough, and he left the studio. <laughs> and everybody looked at each other, and I was like, "Okay, I have lost the job <laughs> in fifteen minutes." And he called me about 45 minutes later. I said, I'm in the pub around the corner. Come and meet me. And so I come and meet with him. And he said, what are you doing? We got you because we thought, you know, we were friends. It was going to be easy. I said, yeah, And but I want the album to be good. And I'm trying to... Uh, to make sure it's good. I want to challenge you. I want to experiment a little bit. I'm trying different keys because I want to see where the emotion stands. And he understood what I was trying to do. It's yeah. just I hadn't explained it to him before. Okay. And he said, okay, fine. We'll just try it. Yeah. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll agree that it doesn't work. And that was, and then the from there on, the whole album was, let's try it. 
But um, it was a good lesson for me because I didn't communicate that before I started because I was so nervous. Right. But it was also a good lesson because I didn't let go. <laughs> I, you didn't let go. I didn't ah, let go. Because okay. that's, that's quite important in the studio, isn't it? I think it's... Knowing where to let go. Yeah, I didn't let go because I believe... I didn't want to do an average placebo album i didn't want to do the guy have to be the guy they've already done some great music i didn't yeah. want to be doing something average i wanted to do something exceptional so i was pushing to try to see you know i was green and i was pushing to try to see where i could get anything from them that someone else didn't get so for me experimenting was going to be a big part of it and we did experiment we yeah. tried well, I mean, loads of weird things but it still sounds organic it doesn't sound overproduced to me and there is some moments in there which i think are still some of my favorite yeah. stuff that i've done um so yeah <laughs> so that answered the when to let go and yeah. when not to let go and you know the relationship with artists now i deal with it differently i try i, tr I tried to discuss to, to have the discussion before i think i try to avoid having full-on blown out argument because i don't think it's mature i think it's i know better but uh, having discussion is important dimitri it's been absolutely fantastic talking with you. I have to say, um, I've totally enjoyed this morning. Um, it's been great to catch up with you. Thank you very much for coming to Mixbus. No problem. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the whole series on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join me for the next episode. And until then, goodbye.